Consolation prizes may not mean a whole lot, but Inter-Miami grabbed one anyway before heading into a winter of uncertainty. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, aka Miami Total Football Radio. I am half of your co-hosting team on this week's pod. My name is Franco Panizo and joining me to put a bow on what was actually a pretty poor season, but nonetheless, he was here from the start, and he's here at the end. His name is Steve El Primo Brenner. Steve, how are you doing on this fine Wednesday afternoon? Yeah, I'm not too bad, man. That was a very long radio um, <laughs> It was a good one, right? Run out as well. It's probably the longest one of the uh, longest longest one of the season. So you're, fin- you're finishing off on a, on a real real high, but, just, um, just like Inter Miami, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think. It, Good, good way to end a disappointing season. I think now, like you know, it's. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting as we keep on saying for the last few weeks to see what happens in the in the close season and and what what are we going to do? I mean, you know, we can't. There's no more press conferences, no more matches for a while. So, uh, but I think we're going to be kept busy with the uh, ins and outs. Hopefully, of uh, when they, he's uh, chopping and changing the roster. Well, I'm heading to Europe. I've put. I'm putting my finishing touches on a plan to Europe or on a trip to Europe for for this off season. Just going to take advantage of the downtime that we have, and actually, there's not much downtime because the uh, the MLS schedule for next season was announced after the last podcast that we recorded, and the season's starting even earlier. It starts at the end of February, and preseason now starts in the middle of January. So it's not that long of an off season, or not as long as it normally is. I'm actually leaving at the end of this month. I'll be back December. And, you know, three weeks later, we'll be back into preseason. So it's not a whole lot of time in terms of preseason or off-season preparation for Inter-Miami or for MLS in general. But that is because of MLS just decided it was because of the World Cup or? Yes, because of the World Cup, MLS is moving, has moved its schedule up a bit so that there's no conflict with the start of the World Cup, which is expected to be uh, or is November of 2022 or late November next year. Wow. that's exciting. Exactly. So so not a whole lot of time for Inter Miami to move and, and change pieces. We already know that there are those conversations are being had. Some players have already been told they are not or they are no longer, excuse me, part of the plans. We'll dive into that a little bit, as well as dive into obviously this weekend's one to zero victory, surprise one to zero victory over the New England Revolution, the supporter shield winners and first place team in MLS this year. So Steve, we have a good bit to talk about. So let's get to it. Okay, Steve. So Inter Miami went on the road in a game in which it was really playing for nothing. Inter Miami was playing for practically nothing. It was pretty meaningless. Yes, you can say some players were playing for for their jobs or, you know, for their for their for next season's contract, etc. etc. But the decisions were pretty much made. I don't think anybody really changed the opinion of Phil Neville and Chris Henderson with their performance over the weekend. But anyway, Inter Miami goes into Foxborough, Massachusetts and hands the Supporter Shield winners, the New England Revolution, a 1-0 defeat. Inter Miami wins by a 1-0 score, a goal from Blaise Matuidi, his first of the year in the second half. That's enough for Inter Miami to, to get this victory, to get the three points, to end the season... I'm having a hard time saying it's on a positive note, but on a more positive note than would have been otherwise. Because obviously we know the team did not make the playoffs, finished in 11th place in the Eastern Conference, regardless of of what happened over the weekend. 
But at least they go into the offseason on a more of a positive note, a winning note, I would say. This was the lineup that Phil Neville went with in the season finale. Now, Gonzalo Higuain, as I reported over the weekend, after we recorded our last podcast, something Jose had, had mentioned could be a possibility on last week's pod. Gonzalo Higuain did not travel with the team. Obviously, he's been dealing with some plantar fasciitis, which is a foot injury. So I had heard he did not travel. I reported that on Saturday. He was not with the team in Boston and obviously is not in the lineup on, on Sunday. So this was the lineup Phil Neville went with. You had John McCarthy replacing the injured Nick Marsman in goal. And then you had the 5-3-2 formation. So from right to left, this was your back five. Lewis Morgan as the right wing back. Leandro gonzalez Pires, Nicolas Figal as the modern-day sweeper. Christian McCoon. And then Breck Shea. Your midfield trio, you had Gregory as the six. Indiana Vasilev to the right of him. Blaise Matuidi to the left. And then up top, you had Rodolfo Pizarro and Julian Carranza. Pizarro more as obviously the free-roaming number 10. And Carranza more as the traditional number 9 that stayed a bit higher. Again, Blaise Matuidi with the game-winning goal in the second half, in the 58th minute. What was your biggest takeaway from this game what do you think is the the biggest talking point, not going into the offseason, but just to summarize and recap this match, this surprise victory, this upset win over the Revolution? Well, you know, I think it showed um, your your friend Pizarro when Higuain wasn't playing, you know, it kind of helps him. And it's been weird, isn't it? We've all season we've been talking about how the DPs haven't been delivering, but really, it, you know, it's... We, we kind of know now that, that Pizarro and Higuain don't really fit on, on, on the pitch together. And when one's not playing, the other one tends to tends to thrive. And that definitely happened on, on Sunday. It opened him up a bit more. He was freer. Um, he, he was good in possession. He, he looked kind of dangerous. Um, so that's a problem that I'm surprised that... I'm hearing these words come out of your mouth. I'm shocked. Maybe did you have some beers while you were watching the game? Or I mean, because I don't know. I've never really heard you be complimentary of Pizarro. I can't remember the last time you, you were complimentary. The, the main the point I'm trying to make is that um, <laughs> he him and Higuain don't don't gel. And we've, we've right. seen multiple, you know, examples of that throughout the season. Uh, I think even you posted, didn't you, last week, a picture of them sat on the bench. I think it was after the Red, the Red Bulls game, wasn't it? Yes. Um, looking pretty frosty. So those are the kind of, you know, situations and uh, position things that, that they have to they have to deal with. And it's a massive problem for them because it looks like Gonzalo Higuain is probably going to retire in the next season. Um, and then, so what are they going to do with Pizarro right now? I still think they have to try and sell him. Absolutely. Obviously he hasn't got much of a sell-on value, blah, blah. You know, the World Cup's coming up, et cetera, et cetera. He needs to play. He can't play in the same team as, as Higuain. Higuain is a big character, huge ego. Um, the, the, the star man, rightly so. Um so that's that's that is the one thing that sort of took the, the takeaway is just that those problem with the DPs, you know, just con, just continues. But at least Blaise Matuidi scored, and uh, that's one goal. Yeah, so it makes that yacht that he brought just that's a little bit cheaper now, which is great. <laughs> so let's let's touch on the Pizarro and Iguain topic because I think that is the biggest topic after this game. I think you know that's that's number one. Number two is probably just the overall effort and the defensive determination and the dogged determination that the team showed, which we can get to in just a bit. But I think the biggest takeaway was Pizarro's performance. And again, like you just mentioned, when Gonzalo Higuain's not there, how much freer, how much more spirited, how much more lively and confident Rodolfo Pizarro looks. And that this game 
was was prime example of it. I wrote in my in my post game analysis if there was any lingering doubt as to whether the two could play together, this game all but sealed it because you can you saw a completely different Pizarro than you've seen for much of this year. A Pizarro that looked to make things happen, that that just had a different body language to him. Didn't look you know, kind of, I don't know what, I don't know what the word is, if it's apathetic, or just kind of shut down, or, or, or diminished, or demoralized, he looked much more willing to try to make things happen, trying to take the game by the scruff of the neck, and I have touched on this over the course of this season, in my coverage, and obviously on this podcast, but dating back to May, dating back to May, I saw signs between Higuain, and this is just how I view soccer, how I view football, and maybe, you know, you could say, you could agree with me, you could disagree with me, you could say the signs were there or not, but even early in May, and, and it's one of the questions I asked Pizarro in a press conference, and I wrote a piece on it, I thought there were already signs then that the two could not play together, and I thought they were pretty glaring. It became even more evident to me throughout the course of the season. And in September, I wrote another piece, again, analyzing whether the two complemented one another, because at that point in Early to mid-September, they had only directly assisted to one another on one goal over the course of the year. And they occupied a lot of the same spaces. Pizarro had been moved out to the wing by Phil Neville to try to avoid that, that, that conflict or, or that, uh, that issue from taking place where, where both of them are occupying similar spots in the number 10 area. So this has been a recurring theme for me over the course of the season. That image that I posted earlier this week is from a piece I did earlier in the season, a post-game analysis, when they both were subbed out in the 77th minute of the 4-0 loss to the New York Red Bulls, and they didn't even look at each other the whole way out. They sit in the same uh, line on the bench. There's there's different rows, not line, different rows on the bench, and they sit, you know, well, far, enough with enough space away from one another. Pizarro doesn't look at Higuain. Higuain looks at Pizarro, but just in a very snarling, upset, angry kind of way. He mouths a couple words. You can't make them out on TV. But if you want to see that image, you can see it on, on my Twitter handle at Franco Panizo. But it's been clear to me over the course of this year that they just don't click on the field. I don't know if off the field, I doubt that they click off the field as well. That doesn't mean that they, they you know that they dislike each other. But we have I have to add this, you know, and after the game. I don't know. I don't know if once the game ended, you know, you just tuned out and you were like, all right, the season's over. But after the game, Rodolfo Pizarro went on Twitter and started liking several tweets. Some of them were were mine, but not just mine. I don't want this is not about me. He liked several tweets from different people that were analyzing the game that were saying, you know, how different the team looked without Higuain up top, constantly complaining, and how he Pizarro looked much freer and livelier and more spirited. He liked several of those tweets after the game. And on top of that, he went on his Instagram account, posted a picture of himself from the game, and he had a caption in Spanish that I will translate that said, hold on, I'm, gonna, I'm going to pull it up because I want to get the the proper proper translation. I don't want to give a, a rough a rough estimate of what he said. I want to give, you know, he said, Buena victoria para terminar la temporada. Corriendo y luchando, todo siempre será más fácil. Lástima que fue demasiado tarde a lo que sigue. Which means, good victory to end the season. When everyone's running and fighting, it will always be easier. Shame it came way too late. On to whatever's next. That, to me, is a shot at Higuain. 
that to me, my interpretation of that is a shot at Iguain. Do you agree with that or no? Hundred percent, and I've, I've spoken to some people at the club who who, who think so as well. You know, that's uh, yeah, yeah. He's he's definitely having a dig. It's so a fair play to him. He's actually been more assertive on Instagram than he has on the pitch uh, for, for most of the time. <laughs> There's is, your dig. There it is. Uh, which is quite interesting. But yeah, I mean, pretty public. Knows, knew exactly what he what he was doing. Um, yeah, it just it just says everything about it. Really, it's just they don't see eye to eye. Well, you know. Some teammates obviously will, will comment and, you know, they'll, they'll be like, Buena Rodolfo, or whatever, whatever. But the one that stood out to me was Nicolas Figal. Because in there, he says, he responds to him in the Instagram comments. He says, Si, Rodo, fire emoji, fire emoji, juntos somos mejores. Which means, yes, Rodo, together we are better. To me, that one out of, you know, Christian McCoon put some heart emojis, Pellegrini chimed in, Gregory as well, etc., etc. But... The one from Figal also showed to me, maybe Figal doesn't necessarily agree with Iguain's behavior, how he how he handles himself or or manages himself on the field. So clearly, to me, especially going back to Pizarro, Pizarro has now sounded off on the matter. Because over the course of this year, when we've asked him, when I've asked him questions about their, their relationship, he's been very professional, to his credit. Never really criticized Iguain, has never really said anything negative about Iguain. But now with these tweets and with this social media behavior, it's clear that that he's sounding off on the matter. Uh, now that things are done and dusted, now that he you know he probably thinks he's not coming back. So you know, an interesting dynamic and one that obviously impacts not only on the field but off the field because in MLS, especially with DPS, you need that number nine and that number ten to be in sync or to be connected to tr- really maximize your potential. If those are you know where you have some of your DPS. Slotted. So, anything else you want to add there about that that dynamic? Anything else? Because now the season's over, right? And and now it's become a little bit more clear. And there has been points where Iguain's, you know, kind of been critical, not directly of Pizarro, but indirectly. It's one of the one of the reasons I even wrote that piece in September because you know he said I could be getting more passes in behind, and that's why I drop because I get bored because I don't get enough touches on the ball. That you know I don't have anyone uh, that that feeds me the ball in behind. So you know it seemed to me like an indirect shot at Pizarro then, but I don't know if you know you have anything else you want to add with that regard between Iguain and Pizarro. Uh, it, it, you know, it's uh, I, we love this as journalists when things like this just come to light, and then you know people back it up, and it's like wow, you know, there's there's actually. A, you know, a lot of time they don't. People players don't really speak their mind. Not in, not not to us. They do in private. Um, so it's interesting to just get his, you know, Pizarro's perspective on, on everything. But uh, the the problem is, is that they can't. They're desperately trying to get. They'd like both of them out if possible, but trying to get one. And I don't think Iguain's going to sit on seven million probably for at least for another season until his contract runs out, and then he'll disappear into the sun. Um, but it's it's trying to get rid of Pizarro, and I don't think they can play together. So. They have to sell him, but they've been trying to sell him for months. So we'll see what 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 happens now. You have been critical of Pizarro. You've been the most critical member of this podcast this season of Pizarro. And I look, I don't want people to misconstrue or misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying Pizarro is a tremendous player because he hasn't shown that over two seasons. But I think there was more to his game, more to what we could see than we did over these last two years, and I think Iguain's arrival impacted that and influenced that. Because Pizarro, before Iguain arrived in September 2020, again, not the greatest number 10, probably not even one of the top number 10s in the league, but he showed more when he was the fulcrum of the attack, when he was the guy that everything went through. And then once Iguain arrived, 
who is a big personality, has a very proven track record, playing a World Cup final, biggest clubs in the world, etc., etc., etc. Once he arrived, there's been, I don't think it's coincidental, a dip in Pizarro's performance levels. And he has found it really tough to replicate those early games of the expansion season where he was assisting, scoring here and there, and, and just being the guy that the team played through. I don't think it's a coincidence that in this match, without Higuain on the field, Pizarro finished second highest in touches with 52, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, it's I think we would have seen more of Pizarro had Higuain not been around, but obviously he was, and we didn't. So he's the most sellable asset of the 3DPs. Pizarro's pretty much done here. I mean, I guess there could be an argument to say get rid of Higuain and keep Pizarro, but I just, you know, again, I think Inter Miami in general will want more out of their number 10 and will want more out of what Pizarro can give them even when Higuain's not on the field. Because even in this game, although he looked sharper and and more engaged, it's not like he and the team created a whole lot either, right? It was not like he, he dominated the game. He was just better than what we've seen for much of the season. Although, to his credit, he did get credit for the for the assist on the game winning goal. Now, switching gears to the defensive part. What do you think of just the team's defensive determination in this one? They could have easily, and I give Phil Neville credit for this, because they could have easily just been ready to head off into the offseason, to go on vacation, to go on holiday, as as you Englishmen like to say, but they didn't. You saw a team that put up a fight, that put in an effort, that was committed to defending. They still gave up some chances, you know, on the balance of play. For me, I thought a draw would have been a more fair result given how New England played, but they couldn't finish on the day. They don't get a goal. John McCarthy had actually had a couple of good saves, and it ends up for a, a shutout, a shutout win for the South Florida side. So what did you just think about the defensive performance there at the back, uh, or just in general, collectively, from Inter-Miami? Yeah, no, I think, you know, we've known that, you know, um, although they have been susceptible at set plays, and they, have been, they, they do lead goals, they, if they do want to tighten up I think if anything to, to tighten up at the back is probably easier than to try all of a sudden turn on a you know the, the magic tap and all of a sudden start producing goals at the other end so I think they've you know Figal and Pires have, uh, Gonzalez Pires have been a, you know they've worked they work pretty well together don't they um, you know we spoke to Gonzalez Pires first time I've ever actually seen him speak or hear him speak in, in person he was quite decent no he's a great talker but it was the first time this season that we've had a chance to speak to him uh, live and in yeah. person because the other occasions it was always just when the team was either starting to get away from Zoom or just went right back into Zoom because of uh, the COVID cases rising in South Florida. So we, this was the first time at the end of the year we got to speak to him. I asked him about the Vancouver uh, trade reports that had come out, and he said that you know he he confirmed that those did happen, that there were talks that of sending him to Vancouver, but ultimately did not did not happen, and that he wants to stay in South Florida. I thought he had a great game. For me, him and Nicolas Figal were the two best players. Obviously, Leandro Gonzalez-Pires was named to the bench of the MLS team of the week, the last one of the season. But I thought Figal was just as good there. And just the defense in general. Even Lewis Morgan, you know, did a good job defensively. Breck Shea was probably the weakest one. Christian McCoon was, was solid overall. But Breck Shea was probably the weakest one. But even he was serviceable. There was one moment in the first half where he kind of got into it with Tejon Buchanan. And I don't know if he got a blood, a, a rush of blood to his head or what, but literally on the next play, he goes in like slide tackle. Something you don't normally see Breck Shea do. He tries to go in a slide tackle really, really hard, like with so much energy and ganas, as we say in Spanish. And 
I forget which player it was. It wasn't Buchanan. I don't remember who it was, but they nutmeg him as he slides by with all this fury, and it leads to a cross that could have ended up in a goal, but Gustavo Bo uh, mishit the shot and shot it wide of frame. It was a it was a bit humorous on second viewing, just seeing Brecchet go in with all his might to try to slide tackle and win the ball after he he had had a little tussle and completely miss. It was I don't know I had a, I had a little chuckle about that, especially since it, it didn't lead to a goal for the team, but. You know, defensively, again, credit to to Phil Neville. Even Blaise Matuidi looked much more engaged in this one. There was one play that, again, could have led to a goal for the Revolution because he didn't track back. But aside from that, a much more improved showing from him defensively than we've seen for much of the year. Gregory was his usual self. Uh, Indiana Vasilev tactically, you know, did a, did a job. So the team the team performed better than I thought, better than most of us thought. You predicted a 4-1 to defeat for Inter-Miami, if I'm not mistaken, and, you know, they actually pulled it out. Now, to be fair, so it's not, you know, it's not just, we're not just singing praises here without without taking things into, into context or taking things into consideration. Inter-Miami had really nothing to play for, nothing to lose. Yes, again, defensively, they put in an effort that easily could not have come because of the situation the team was in. But they had nothing to play for, and neither did New England. And again, New England came close to scoring on multiple occasions. They even scored an equalizer, but it was called back for offside. But on other occasions, they came within inches of scoring. And and obviously, Inter-Miami was a bit fortunate not to give up a goal in this one. Again, for me, a draw would have been a bit more fair result, given uh, the balance of, of play. But... Let's switch quickly to one more thing that I think we need to talk about just from the game, just from an X and O standpoint. And that's the late switch to the 5-4-1. Around the 77th minute, Phil Neville starts making some substitutions and he goes to a 5-4-1 formation. Instead of the 5-3-2, it's now a 5-4-1. There was a line of five at the back. And then the midfield line consisted of four players. Robbie Robinson was the lone striker at that point up top. He came in for Julian Carranza. And... It was essentially done to close out the game, to close out the victory, and obviously didn't make for very beautiful soccer, but but it, it proved effective. Inter-Miami was able to close the game out. And after the match, when I asked Phil Neville about the defensive determination, you know, he touched on that and said, this is something, you know, this was uh, maybe a preview of what's to come in 2022 when, you know, we need to close out games and, and we need to grind them out. Again, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but... He said this could be a preview of 2022 when late on in games, rather than you know maybe take more chances or try to look for a second goal, they might set up shop and be a bit more defensive-minded just to close games out, grind them out, take the three points, and move on to the next game. What did you think about that comment from him? Maybe a little preview of what's to come next season. Well, I mean, you know, it's, that's what that's what you do, isn't it? You just try and shut up shop. You know, later on, just get men. There's many men behind the ball. It's, it's no, it's not a progressive way of of setting out straight from the start. You're probably more likely to play from that away from home than than you know than at than at home. But you you know you can if you press and, and you can attack with the, with the fullbacks pushing up and then. You know, if they said that they're going to get, you know, a, a DP like an attacking midfielder that's going, to, that's going to be fantastic. He would probably fill in behind Iguain or be in the centre, and then he can obviously push on as well. So you have different options with it, but I think, yeah, I should say it's just a way of, of closing closing the game down. That's what they did. I, w- I want to give the exact quote. This was what Phil Neville said in the post game press conference. Quote: When we scored the goal, I've got to say I went into probably thinking next year this is what we are going to be, and we went to five four one. We said let's just 
dig it out because it was almost a practice. On the technical bench, we were talking about what should we do. And we said, let's change the mindset. Let's just practice something now that allows us to hang on at 1-0. This is what the best teams do. Win the games 1-0, win ugly, and move on. We went from 77 minutes until the end of the game with almost a look at what we probably could do next year in terms of setting up shop, end quote. So, yeah, it sounds like, to me, you know, reading into that in general, you know, you can read into it, like, just very straightforwardly. Okay, they might set up shop at the end of, next, at the end of games next year in order to close them out. But to me, it also reads of a coach that's learned a lesson this season about how to manage games in MLS. Because obviously, like you just said, you know, it's not a progressive way when you're setting up shop, when you're inviting pressure, but obviously you're trying to limit the spaces in behind, which is what Inter-Miami did. It's not the most progressive way to go about things. It's not the most exciting. It's a bit more pragmatic. But it reads to me of a head coach that understands now a bit better that in MLS, so be it. You you know, you need you need the three points that's what that's what matters at the end of the day and i don't think that in 2022 we might see this you know necessarily a very free flowing inter miami that plays this in general just a progressive soccer i think phil neville will try to obviously look for take to take leads in games and then throw numbers back to try to uh to try to close things out in a smart way i'm not saying he's going to park the bus every single match and you know for for the better part of 90 minutes but i do think we might see a more tentative defensive minded inter miami and you know we, we saw one this year because they had five at the back but i think just trying to grind out games and trying to to find ways to pick up points is going to be you know a big a big point from from phil novel next year because even even this season here towards the end he's talked about how inter miami has the same amount of wins as nashville sc which is well above the south florida side in the eastern conference but because they didn't lose so many games because they tied a lot you know there's there's that wide gap in between in terms of points so anyway besides that anything else stand out to you because there was one more quote from phil neville after the game that stood out to me but i don't know if there's anything else you want to touch on from this game i'm looking forward to hearing this quote (laughs) well he said in a longer response next season will be my team next year will be my team i will live and die by that decision again that was a, a small part of a bigger response but He's he he you know he does not feel that this was his team, which is fine, which is fair because you know we said the same thing about Diego Alonso a year ago that the team that he had inherited wasn't his team. This is why you know I think we both felt he deserved a second chance, or at least I felt he deserved a second chance. I don't remember what what your opinion on that matter was, but next year, sanctions or not, will be a big year for Phil Neville. If he cannot turn this thing around then I don't know if he if he gets another opportunity for 2023 or, or whether he should get another opportunity. Obviously, we don't call those shots. But, you know, what, what did you think about that quote from uh, from Phil Neville there post-game? Yeah, no, he, he he's right. I and mean, that's what we've been, we've been saying all along. You know, if the sanctions or not, you know, he's brought some players in. He's had to deal with most of the players and all the fallout from, from the, you know, Diego Alonso year, not years. Um, so he's had that to deal with. And then, you know, the close season now, he'll look to bring in some more players. But yeah, this is, that's his squad. He did inherit his his own squad. And there's still, you know, a lot of players still left from that thing. He can't get rid of everyone. But yeah, he has to live and die by what happens from, well, from the moment he came in. But like now in particular, this next season, it's it's on him. And that's that's absolutely fair enough. That's, that's, the, that's the game, isn't it? You know, um, so... He knows that. We all know that. And um, it's up to him to, to, to deliver. So, uh, yeah. 
it'd be um, that's that's what he's got to do. That's what it'll, he paid for. It'll be more sure. It'll be more a team that more resembles what he wants. But I don't think it's going to be perfect. But nonetheless, it might never be perfect. So you know he ha- he will have to deliver next year. Otherwise, the questions will once again will once again raise as to the job that he is doing. Steve, anything else to touch on from this game or from this weekend? I know that you know I've already heard that. There's been some exit meetings that have begun on Monday. It seems, based off just social media posts, that John McCarthy and Dylan Castaneda, the two goalkeepers, or two of the four goalkeepers, they appear, based on their wording, that they're not coming back in 2022. Not really a big surprise if either of them don't return, but I have heard there's a couple of defenders, veteran defenders, that have also been told they won't be returning. I have not been able to confirm that. That's why I will not share their their identity, because I don't want to put out false information or wrong information so i will hold that until a later date from uh from a team side all i've heard officially is that their roster announcements will be made at a later date officially anyway so you know anything you've heard or anything you want to add with regards to the exit meetings obviously inter miami doesn't have a whole lot of time to waste so it seems like they're going about things very very quickly here no it's good journalists we're scurrying around trying to get information but nothing uh Nothing really speaking about the outgoing potentially of one player, but again, nothing. It's it's early days, isn't it? Obviously, you know, a lot of MLS teams are obviously still playing their season that hasn't finished, so you know, front offices won't know how the rosters will shape up until they know if they've won the MLS, if they've won the MLS Cup or how far they've gone or whatever. So, um, no, everything is in everything's in, in flux. I just think, yeah, I think it was a look. It was a disappointing season. If they would have continued England and lost six nil, then you know I think it would have had a different complexion on it. So it just it just gives them an idea, and there have been flashes of what the team is capable of throughout the whole season. They just haven't been able to do it consistently enough. And now he's got to move around his pieces uh, to make sure that it's a more palatable pizza pizza. I mean jigsaw <laughs> to look at to play with next next season. You um, could have a p- palatable pizza. I don't know what that would look like, but yeah. Palatable pizza. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, a palatable uh, pizza dream. Yeah. There you go. I have. Uh, how about a, pa- a palatable jigsaw of a pizza? How about that? Oh. Look, I, I will ask you this before we wrap up this segment because you know we have nothing to look ahead to. There's no game this weekend, and we won't recap the overall campaign until next week when we can get you and Jose on on the same pod at the same time. But I do want to ask you this. How much of the team do you think changes? Give me a, Just give me a percentage, right? Not, not how much does Inter Miami want to change. Because if they wanted to change it, I think 95% of the team would be gone. But how much do you think is more realistic in terms of percentages? How much of the roster will change this winter? Just I know I'm putting you on the spot there. I'll, I'll throw out a number there too so you're not alone here. But what do you think? It's a good question. Um, I think anywhere between like maybe thirty to forty percent. Okay. So if if he's got a score of like twenty five, maybe there'll be seven or eight changes. Maybe I mean that's is that probably the best he could he could hope for really something like that. Maybe more. Maybe he's going to bring some players players up from the. You know, I think Harvey Neville's going to going to come up. Josh yep. Penn as well. Did he say? Well, um, Josh Penn was, Josh Penn returned for for this game, but he's uh He's, uh, you know, he, he didn't feature in the match. So he returned from loan. He was with the team for the last week of training. No no idea what his future status is. Uh, I, I interrupted you there while I was answering your question. But, you know, cont- continue on with uh, with your response if you, if you uh, like. But Yeah, no, like I said, yeah, his son's going to be called up. Um, a couple of other guys from the from the USL. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Eight, is it eight, eight or nine, potentially, do you think? Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe too much. 
I mean, look, again, I haven't, this question is not one I've put a lot of thought into in terms of, you know, trying to do the numbers and sacando la calculadora, taking out the calculators to try to see. I could see anywhere from 10 to 12 to even 14 players being gone. So I would say 50% of the team changes. 50%. That's, but that's just me going off a rough estimate. That might be way too ambitious for an MLS, you know, offseason or for just one window. But I think given the, the state of the team and, and how many deficiencies it has, I think we'll see. Uh, obviously, we're going to see ample change, but I think it could be pretty significant. Pretty significant. So. I think they'd be absolutely delighted with that if that if that happens. Hey, it's Chris Henderson's job now, obviously, to to work his magic, and yeah, I've been very. What's the word I'm looking for here? I've been very high on the job Chris Henderson can do since he arrived, and I think this is where this should be an area of strength for Inter Miami, where they you know, obviously they have the sanctions against them. That's that's obviously something that that plays against them because teams won't want to give up as much or might not be willing to to give up assets or enough assets for for certain players but i think this is where chris henderson is it's his time to shine now this offseason make things happen maybe we'll see some players that might surprise some of us on the outside going you know i I know people are some people are high on robbie robinson i could see him being a player that's moved on because he has right now he has value he's still young enough where he has value he scored some goals this year you know maybe somebody will give up something for him within mls you know, maybe there's other players in that bunch, be it, uh, you know, Leandro gonzalez Pires, uh, even a Lewis Morgan, etc., etc. So, you know, I-, I can see some surprise moves coming because I think we are going to see some very big changes to this team this winter. But let's leave it there. We will come back and do our Q&A session. I won't say it's the last one because I'm sure we'll have more before the end of the year. But let's do our final Q&A session of, uh, well, in the midst of the regular season or recapping the regular season. And we'll do that after this. Primo, we started the year together. We're finishing the year together here in the Q&A session. And there's quite a bit of questions. So are you ready? Let's go for it. There's also a Diego Alonso question. It's the first one. So (laughs) So be ready. All right. First question comes from Gerald. Do you think Diego Alonso was more deserving than Neville of a second year as coach? Neville had a more talented team and was worse than Alonso's team. Steve, I will let you answer this one first. And just to reiterate the question... Because I know once you hear Diego Alonso, you might either see red or you might roll your eyes so hard that you just forget about you know what was said. This is the question. Do you think Diego Alonso was more deserving than Neville of a second year as head coach? No, no. Because oh, here we go. Because when you look at the situation, he, you know, he was there with Paul McDonough, all this stuff that was happening behind the scenes, which we were reliably told was it was a mess behind the scenes. And You were no, told. I was not told this. Don't say well, we. I was, I, was, I, was, I, I, was to- I was told that by, by, by a very good source. So um, it, it was a mess behind the scenes. And they needed that they needed a clean break. And subsequently, since everything had then come out about what the front office was doing, you know, Diego, that was on, on Diego Alonso's watch, wasn't it? So... You know, results-wise, yeah, we were saying at the time he should have been—he deserved another season. Um, but 
it was just I just think it was a wrong it just didn't fit. You just don't think he was more deserving than Phil Neville. That's that's all. That's fine. That's, hey, that's fine. I listen. I'm, I, it's not, know, I, I will say he's running a club. He's running the club. I mean, he's, he's part of it. I will so. say more than just the results, right? And this is why I, the answer to the question for me is yes. I think Diego Alonso was more deserving, and I'll tell you the reasons why. Not only because the results were better than this year's, marginally, but they were better just based on standings. But because it was a pandemic year that interrupted the flow of an expansion season. The pandemic was still going on this year, but it didn't interrupt the the, the campaign, Phil Neville and Inter Miami's campaign, as severely as it did a year ago. And on top of that, Diego Alonso was hired very late in the process. He didn't have, you know, he, he essentially got here and preseason started right away. Phil Neville had a bit of a transition period. He, he I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was hired in January or so, and then he had a few weeks before preseason began. So he had a little bit more time to. To not only you know get used to things, but to just just map out how he wanted the year to, to play out. So just based on that, those are my reasonings for why I think Diego Alonso was more deserving. But that's just my opinion. So anyway, next question. Unless you want, unless you want to rebuttal. No. Okay. <laughs> next. I don't know. I hear, sometimes I hear your breath, like so. I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe he's, he's got something. Diego Alonso just takes, takes my breath away. <laughs> next question comes from Elder Bar. Did Phil always play with a five-player backline in his past job? This form is so Ole and Mo. So I guess that means Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Jose Mourinho. Do you all think we will see this formation next season regardless of what players stay and come? It depends on the players. It depends what's happening in the match situation. I think, you know, their managers are fluid, aren't they? You know, they'll have three or four different different ways that we're playing and you just match it to that situation no I don't think he'll set up playing five at the back at, at home I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought so but it depends on on the on the the people he's got to put in those positions I don't think he always played with a with a five-player backline in the past because obviously he coached the England women's national team no he was he was think... you know I covered I covered a bit of England's women's stuff so I think the first time he when he was appointed I remember going to Columbus and they played in the She Believes Cup and he was renowned as having as imparting like a very attacking style onto the England women's national team, you know, they got to the World Cup semi-final, but he was very sort of front foot, we're going to attack, attack, attack. So, but I think he had the players to do that with that in that, in that team. I don't think he's had the players to do that here. So, you know, the second question that, that Elder Elder Bar had is, do you think we'll see this formation next season, regardless of what players stay and come? I think there's a good chance that we do see this formation, I'm not saying every single game, I'm not saying it's the preferred formation, but I do think there is a chance that we see the five five man backline again next season because just because of some of the personnel that I imagine is going to stay. Now, if you look at it, Christian McCoon's probably not going anywhere. Probably has some value right now, so maybe they deal him, but I doubt it. I think he, they'll want to keep him around. But to me, I think he's a center back based on what I've seen that is better in a three center back look than a two center back tandem because. He has less space to cover, and in this game you saw when he has more space to cover, and they were playing the five at the back against the Revolution, you know, he struggles a bit. He gets caught chasing the game a bit, a bit more often. So I think it's very possible that we could see, you know, a Makun, Mabika, and, you know, I don't know if it's Gonzalez Pires that stays, or they, they bring in another center back from abroad and get rid of both of Figal and Gonzalez Pires. But I could definitely see a good chunk of next season the team playing in a, in a five-man backline. But that's that's just my opinion right now as of 
November of 2021. Things can change when they bring in personnel, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I think I think it's a possibility that we'll see that next year. Don Cafecito comes with the next question. He says, would, you, would like to follow up and ask, what are your good, bad, and ugly moments of the season now that it's officially over? Good question. Do you want to start yeah, or do you want good, me to start? Good. The good bits were this, was that good run in the middle of the, the season, which they responded to after having gone on a very bad run. So the bad run, the good run. And um, I, I say, I think there's been element, there's been parts of, of the season which have been great in times where you thought, yeah, maybe they're kind of getting there. It's getting somewhere now. And then they've, they kind of regressed a bit and just haven't been able to keep con, you know, consistent. Um, I think McCoon has been good. Um, I think he's, you know, he's sort of come through, come through quite nicely. Um, and yeah, I guess guys like Lewis Morgan and Rob Robinson really haven't had, you know, very good seasons. Shawcross is probably going to leave, isn't he? Go back home uh, to England. Kieran Gibbs hasn't really been fit too much, has he? So, you know, um, yeah, it's it's been a very very mixed bag. So I will answer the question in a little more detail or more more specific detail. So I think the good moments were, I think probably the uh, one early on was. When Inter Miami came from behind to beat the Philadelphia Union in week two, and both Higuain scored to to become the the first brothers that scored in an MLS game, if if I have that record correct, and obviously that came just days before their their mother passed. Then obviously the wins against Toronto and Chicago back to back at home, or or Chicago and Toronto, I think that was the order where Inter Miami won, and you know they scored some goals and. It was probably two of the more convincing victories at that point in the year. And then at the end, obviously, the, the two big, big wins against Toronto FC and then against Nashville that excited the home crowd, that gave the fans something to cheer about, a lot of goals to, to scream, a lot of goals to shout over and, and be happy about. So those are the good moments. The bad moments, well, there's a lot. There's a lot, and I won't dive into every single one, but obviously for me, I think maybe the biggest bad moment was that last losing streak. When things seemed like they were turning the corner, when they were about to to really make a push for the playoff spot, or they looked like they were going to, they laid those two eggs at home against the New York Red Bulls and against Nashville SC, and they were blown out, I think, by a 9-1 combined score, if I'm not mistaken, in those two matches. That really sunk the team. That really doomed the team, in my opinion, to not making the playoffs because but they had momentum in their in their pocket or in their corner um, in their corner and or in their I don't know uh, in their favor, and it just didn't you know th- those two matches at home really put them in a bigger hole, and it just started a whole new funk and a whole new losing streak that obviously sealed into Miami's season. As for the ugly moments. All the blowout defeats that Inter Miami suffered at home in 2021. There's a lot of bad performances, but there were also several blowouts. 4-0 to the New York Red Bulls, 5-1 to Nashville, 5-0 to New England in, in July. The, you know, there were other poor games, but just the amount of blowout defeats that Inter Miami suffered, that to me is is the ugliest part of the year because and a lot of them came at home. So it just it just wasn't good. It wasn't good. It was definitely a, a huge eye opener in terms of where the state of the team was and how troubled the team was and how deficient and, and lacking the team was in so many areas to get blown out that many times at home. That's that's obviously 
very very concerning so that's that's my ugliest moment of of 2021 dos knows with the next question primo and he says any word on potential players we are looking to sign for next year seems like we need to replace seven of our starting 11 there's the two brazilians there's the two brazilians that they've been linked with but yeah and then linked with an attacking midfielder we think is uh it's motto isn't it for the yeah. brazilian guy um yeah no, it's everyone's keeping their... I think this is a time where agents are speaking now, front offices are speaking, and, and deals are getting done. And, um, yeah, people are um, keeping their cards quite close to their chest. So I, many names I, about them? I haven't heard any specific names besides the, the two Brazilians, Gene Mota and Rafael Veiga. But I wouldn't be surprised knowing Chris Henderson, knowing how he operates in this league and how he's someone that's you know worked in this league for so many years as a player and then as a front office member... This team needs more MLS experience on it. I think they need more MLS veterans or MLS savvy guys that know the league in and out that can also contribute on the field. It's not just about bringing veterans that can't contribute. You need players that can contribute, but you know, I think if they have to weigh an option between someone abroad that that might be, you know, I don't I don't know how to gauge this, but you know, that might be at a certain level and then they have an MLS player that is either at or just below that level, but has the MLS experience, I think you go for the MLS experience guy because I think this team, with all the chemistry questions that keep being asked and the talk about the locker room and, and you know how everyone gets along, that plus just needing needing a little bit more savvy, more MLS savvy, I think they need a little bit more MLS experience. So don't be surprised, or I wouldn't be surprised, if Chris Henderson makes some trades for some MLS players that can come in and, and do a job I don't know if necessarily as a starter, could be as a as a role player, but definitely think this team needs a little bit more MLS experience and maybe a little less foreign uh, talents or foreign products, just because Landon Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey up front, uh, <laughs> Lexi Lallis. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, there there is a question about star power, which is is the last question, but we're we're almost there. Next question comes from Gabe P. Why couldn't the players play like the last game all the time? Good question. Um, pressure was off, I guess. Yep. Pressure of, of not, you know, knowing that they're not going to be into the playoffs. Uh, we thought that New England would potentially go for it, considering they're sort of, you know, that they won the supporters shield, haven't they? And they don't, they get a buy in the, they don't play in the first round of the playoffs, but they maybe they had their eye for the ball as well. You know, final days do sort of, you do get get a, some strange results or unpredictable results, and that was definitely one. Um, but yeah, you need to be taken. You need to take the view over the whole season, not just a microcosm of one final game against a team that have already run away with the league and one team that have been pretty not great at all. So I will echo those sentiments and say that you know both teams had really not much to play for, so that's definitely something to take into consideration. Inter Miami has also over the course of the season been defensively tough to break down. I forget what the stat was, and they said it on the broadcast, but they had given up very few goals in, in their away games. I think it was like averaging either just under one goal per game or just over one goal per game in their away matches. So, you know, they've been tough to break down defensively, especially once they switch to that five-man back line. And in this game, they gave up a lot of chances, or they gave up several chances. They just weren't converted. So, you know, I think... You know, the final result maybe might be blinding the the performance because the performance, while it was a net positive, absolutely, it still could have ended in a easily a 1-1 draw and then we're not having this conversation of, of them winning and them ending on a high. So, look, I, I think the effort was there. Again, testament to the job Phil Neville uh, was able to do because, again, this team could have easily folded or easily been looking, you know, towards their, their, their winter vacations or their plans, the offseason whatever happens next for a lot of them, but he was able to not only get a, a 
dogged, determined defensive performance. He was also able to get a disciplined defensive performance. Players stuck to the game plan, as he mentioned, post-game. And that's obviously, you know, credit to the players, but also credit to the head coach for being able to get them to buy into that, given the situation. Now, if Gabe P's question is, you know, a little bit cryptic, if he's trying to say, you know, something about Gonzalo Higuain, well, I think there is, I think we can agree, or Steve and I will agree that, that for as good as Gonzalo Higuain is with the ball and, and how good he can be and how dominant he can be in, in the run of play or, or in a given game, excuse me, there is a negative impact that also comes from him. So I don't know if his presence is a net positive. It might be neutral, but, you know, that's just for everyone else to, to determine or, you know, even for us to think about a little bit more. And we are doing our season, our end of season podcast next week. So, you know, maybe we'll, we'll touch into that topic or dive into that topic a bit more. Last question, Steve. And it comes from Polish Miami. Not some of the normally asked questions here on Miami Total Football Radio, but Polish Miami asks, I believe that Inter Miami has always been intended to be the team that brings European stars to MLS. Do you think we might expect another exciting signing soon? That's what we need. That's what they need, isn't it? That's it. That's what David Beckham and you know the, his his presence, um, you know, in the in the in the club. Yeah, you need to have star names. But also, you need to have star names from from Miami. You know, there's a lot going on. You know, there's the Dolphins, the Heat, all that kind of stuff. A lot of sports vying for attention. So you need to be good, and you need you need big stars. That's it. You know, MLS always vaunted itself on um, you know not needing aging sort of stars coming over, and it's not to say. A lot of the players come over on at the end, always at the end of their careers. But you do need those those big names. So let's see what interesting, see what see what happens. Iguain is a big name; he's a worldwide star. So um, let's see who they can get in alongside him. So you think they that we can expect another big name signing? I don't. Uh, That's the question. The question is, yeah, it, all de- I, I'd like to see one. It just depends on what they can do. Yeah, I think a, a big, big, big name like that that they would pay. You know, Iguain's on seven million. Would they better get a big name who command that sort of salary? I mean, I don't. It's not going to happen, is it? I don't think so. Um, I wouldn't expect a superstar name, but definitely a player that you would probably look at and think, "Wow, you know, he's going to be good, or he is good." Blob, just like we saw with Barco, or you know, any of these guys that you know that maybe aren't known worldwide, but they're just they're good. You know, they're good players. Okay, so I, I think, I, I, I think you. I think you've given me two answers there. So you think that they will not slant? Because again, his. The sentence before the question is, you know, he he believes Inter Miami has always been intended to be the team that brings European stars to MLS. So your answer is no, that there you don't expect to see, you know, a star or a big name player on Inter Miami again soon, like another one no. being brought in. Okay, I agree with that. I agree with that answer. I do not think we will see a big name player or uh, you know someone that has star power that's playing in Europe coming to Inter Miami anytime soon. I think that they know that they have to maximize their value. They can't take a risk on uh, an older player, which is probably the only type of player with uh, name power that you're going to be able to, to bring on board at this point in their careers. So I don't think we'll see that. I think they will go South American. Again, the Brazilians are, are linked. They're of the younger variety, younger players, not known commodities, not household names, but that might be able to, to compete better in MLS on a weekly and game in and game out basis. So I think that's the approach they'll take. Now, you know, if years from now, I'm not talking next year, but if years from now, the likes of, uh, you know, a a Messi or maybe even a Griezmann, you know, those pop up and there's a chance at that, then I absolutely think Inter Miami can go with 
the approach of, of signing a big name player, someone that has star power, household name. But I think that approach, I think that mentality, that mindset, that strategy is by and large done. I think that they've learned from these first two years that it did not work and that building a team around that is not necessarily the most uh, suitable approach or not the best approach, especially with Chris Henderson at the helm. I just don't see him going that route. Look at Seattle. They never really had, aside from Clint Dempsey, who was a U.S. international, they never really had huge players with with huge names they had very good players Obafemi Martins they had you know they have Raul Ruiz Nicolas Loedo good players but they're not household name players and and I think you'll see that be kind of the approach going forward I don't think we'll see big name European stars uh you know unless there's an exception here or there within within the next few years but that does it for the Q&A session Steve give us your final thought I will give mine and we'll wrap up the pod after that. Yeah, the season's gone quickly, isn't it? I mean, it's um, you know, time, time, time has been flying around, uh, flying by. They haven't. Uh, it's been disappointing. But as I said, I just think there's enough. He would have, you know, Phil Neville's been there now a year. He's seen enough. He he understands what what the squad's about. And now, you know, they're going to get to work and and see what they can work out for uh, next season. And we can all have a little bit of a rest, maybe. Well, no because we're going to be on the phone trying to find stories and speak to people <laughs> and do whatever, but we can have a bit of a rest for maybe doing press conferences for a while. But. I do believe we will have an end-of-season availability next week, if I'm not mistaken. I do believe we will be speaking to some of the players, maybe Chris Henderson, maybe uh, maybe Jorge Mas. Not sure about David Beckham, but that is my final thought, and it's something I said on the Big O Show earlier today. David Beckham needs to talk this offseason. He probably won't, but he needs to, and he should, because he cannot just choose when to speak because that that just suits his brand and that suits his successful image and et cetera, et cetera. If he's going to be an owner of this team, he has to face the music just like everybody else that has to show their face publicly and can't just do so in the good moments because that is not fair to... Jorge Mas, it's not fair to the, to the rest of the team or the rest of the organization, and it's not a sign of a good leader, point blank. David Beckham has been a professional player. He knows that he, there's good moments, there's bad moments, it's part of sports, but you, he has shown his face over the course of his playing career in good and bad times, and he has to do the same as an owner. Last year, nobody spoke, including David Beckham, nobody spoke to, to us during the offseason up until practically Phil Neville was hired and that's when you know the narrative changed and okay now we can talk about much more positive and flowery things and and the narrative has has gone away from how poor we were in 2020 okay you were poor again in 2021 and Phil Neville is probably going to stay on for another season or I mean everything indicates that he is there's nothing indicating he's gone and I don't expect him to be gone but let's hear the reasons why. Let's hear why you give Phil Neville another year. What is your rationale, David Beckham, and your rationale, Jorge Mas? But again, this is more for David Beckham. Why is, what is your rationale as a soccer guy in this ownership group for why Phil Neville deserves another year? Let's hear why. That's fine. If you want to stick with him, cool. But let's hear why. Because this whole, this whole oh, I only speak in preseason, uh, well, you know, and then that's it. No, that's, that's nonsense because... We know, or I, I'm fully convinced, and I don't know what you think, but I'm fully convinced if Inter Miami was in the playoffs, if Inter Miami made it to MLS Cup, if Inter Miami won MLS Cup, David Beckham would be front and center, taking pictures, doing interviews. But when the when the things don't go well, when things go south, 
doesn't seem to to really want to show his face as much. I get he's a brand. I get he's, you know he needs to be tied into successful uh, products and, and and other brands, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you're going to be an ownership in MLS, wants to be so you know one of the biggest teams in the league, you want to be very forward facing and yada yada yada. You got to show your face too and face the music when things don't go well. But that's my final thought. We will leave it there, Steve. We'll be back again next week. We will do an, a more end of season pod focused just more on you know who we think the best players were, maybe you know who who the team should bring back. We'll just dive into a little bit more of the off season uh, in more detail. So we'll do that next week with Jose Armando and with yourself. So. Stay tuned for that, guys, and thank you again so much for listening and for sticking with us over the course of this season. I know it at times hasn't been the easiest to to follow and to keep track of, especially with the results, especially with us having to be more critical given those, those lack of victories. But we'll be back again next week. For Steve Brenner, I am Franco Finizo. This is Miami Total Football Radio, and we'll talk to you guys again next week.